This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Second hour of the show. Thanks for joining us at 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. I got to tell you, uh, watching the Mets, who are just underway now with uh, Carrasco on the mound against Cincinnati, it was it, it was just great to see both the uh, Diaz brothers uh, to come out and give the lineup card out, exchange lineup cards, and to give a hug to each other and then to see their, their parents in the stands just waving with their split shirts. They're here for the whole series. They've got Mets and Reds <laughs> split. That, and the and the shirts have both uh, faces of both their kids. That that's man. As a parent, that's got to be something special. That's got to be something something really really special to be able to watch your kids and to know all the you know all the sacrifices you made, right? All the all the extra practices, driving to practice and making sure they're okay, and you know school and all that's all those things. It's got to be really really special. So. Uh, just taking the time to uh, enjoy that in, in, in the moment while you were listening to the update. And as I mentioned, uh, the Mets started late because they had a rain delay, so they are underway. Carrasco starts out with a strikeout. Yankees again in Seattle for game two of their series. And uh, tonight they've got uh, Gary Cole. It's a rematch on the mound. So the Yankees are hoping that uh, Gary Cole can pitch as can pitch the way he did from the second inning on as opposed to giving up the six runs in the first inning, that he will be able to, you know, do a little better and to show what he can bring to the table and pitch more like an ace because that's really that's really what the, the situation has been that has really gotten a lot of Yankee fans concerned. And, of course, Luis Castillo, who the Yankees wish they had gotten but were not able to get, will be on the mound in the rematch. Want to get your thoughts on the Jets and Giants as they prepare this week. And I want to also share with you some thoughts from our resident GM NFL style, Mike Tannenbaum. Now he's, he and Dan Grasso are filling in for the K guys all week long. And what Mike Tannenbaum said today about Makai Becton was, was fascinating. It was also fascinating to hear what our Chris Canty had to say about Makai Becton. But before we set all that up, let's hear from Robert Sala. And Robert Sala weighs in with the latest update on Makai Becton when he spoke to the media this afternoon. From my understanding, he's getting his second evaluation opinion tomorrow. Still doesn't look good. Obviously, all the information's out there for everyone to read. That's probably the inevitable. But like I've said earlier, it's just sick for Makai. So. This season is likely over? Yeah, it's more than likely. More than likely. And uh, here's more on the coach about Becton. You worry about all of them. These are young men, and I think sometimes with social media in this world, we dehumanize these athletes in the worst way imaginable. And Makai has walked in this building, and he has taken every single punch you can get from every which way, and he shows up, and he works his tail off, and he grinds every single day. He shows up to camp, 
and he's fighting to get himself back in shape. He's got videos of him vomiting and people are throwing shade and he's limping and he's doing all those different things and he's fighting for this, for his family, for himself, for his teammates, for this organization, for this fan base and he's doing everything and then everybody wants to drop him like a, a wet rag. That ain't the case. We love Makai. We appreciate everything he's done and it's, his ride is not over. His story's not over and he's got full support of this organization and if you're a fan that wants to support him, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, just keep him moving. But a lot of respect for him and really excited for him to come back even stronger and give himself a chance to show why he was first round pick. You know, and I said it last night when the story first in the news first broke, this is as tough a position as you can have for a young player, right? Who right now his professional career is in jeopardy. He's going to get a second opinion. And if they are right, he's going to be done for the year. So now this is going to tell you a lot about Makai Becton. Okay. Uh, I hear what Coach Sal is saying, and I have no doubt that he's right. He's around him all the time. I've never met Makai Becton. But I've been around a number of athletes, and situations like this tell you a lot about how hungry athletes are, how competitive they are, and how much they love whatever sport it is that they're performing in. And right now, as hard as it's been for him to rehab from his past injury, this is going to be the hardest. This is going to be as tough as it gets to understand that once again, he's, it's another year he's not playing football if the diagnosis is confirmed. It's another full season of his career that he's not playing. And that's got to eat away at you. That's got to test your motivation. That's got to test your willpower. That's got to test your love for this sport. I mean, it's not easy. So whatever turns out, wish him the best. But he not only has to consider his career, he's got to consider the rest of his life. Okay? He's got to make a decision to be sure that he's going to be okay, that his quality of life as he gets older will not suffer. There are so many ex-athletes that you see, some of them with limps, some of them with uh, dislocated fingers, some of them with you know injuries and scars from their careers in whatever sport it is. And it's because they made that decision to stay in it for the love of the sport. And so, I, you know, once again, there's been questions about whether Makai Becton loves football. There's been questions about this. There's been questions about his durability. There's been a lot of questions about Makai Becton. Lots. But I got to tell you, if he's able to come back from all these things, even if it's not with the Jets, if he's able to come back and have a football career after all he's gone through, it's going to say a lot about the intestinal fortitude of this young man. It will say a lot. There's no doubt about it. It will tell you a lot about what's inside of him and what he's made of. Because just think of the pressure he's under. New child? Okay, he's a dad? 
And that I'm sure that motivated him to further try to get back because he understands his obligations to his family and also to the Jets and to himself and so on and so forth. It's, it's a tricky situation. It really is. And so rehabbing this injury, knowing that you're not playing for this season, that you're hoping that everything will go well with the surgery and everything has to go well with the rehab and all the hours and hours and hours of rehab that you're going to have to do to make your knee stronger than it was in the beginning. I mean, that's a long road, my friends. That's a long road. We'll continue the conversation with your calls next. Bobby Marks at the bottom of the hour on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Jet fans, I'm sure you'll acknowledge this. Chris Canty might be one of the few people who thought the Jet offensive line was going to be a strength this year, right? (laughs) Because everybody wasn't sure. You just weren't sure what was going to happen with Becton. You weren't sure what was going to happen with the switch from one side to the other. And as it turns out, it hasn't worked out. It's ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Mike Tannenbaum, as I mentioned, along with Dan Grass, is filling in on the Michael K. Show this week. And he had an interesting perspective. The NFL front office insider says this injury is a big opportunity for Robert Sala. What a massive opportunity for Robert Sala. You want to be coach of the year, Robert Sala? You have an unbelievable opportunity. Al Davis used to tell Coach Parcells, you know what? Nobody cares. Just go get your team in the end zone. So you have a little bump in the road. 11th pick in the draft goes down. Next man up. Go coach him up. Tell us how good he's going to be. Get your team into the end zone and let's go. So if I'm Robert Sala, I see this as an opportunity for the New York Jets in 2022 to exceed expectations. Get your young quarterback going. You had a good offseason. No one's going to care that Becton got hurt. Next guy up. That's the reality of pro football. That's the reality of this market. He's right. And that's the total unbiased opinion and He's a thousand percent right. The question is, who's going to replace him? We talk about depth on NFL teams all the time because the teams who are successful, I'll get to the calls in a second. The teams that are successful, the the quality the talent level between the starter and the reserve, the difference in talent is the difference in how far you go. Okay? I remember my late father-in-law saying, you're, you're only as strong as any team is only as strong as your weakest man. All right? So that as bad, your depth has got to be as close to the talent of your starters. If you can manage that, you'll go far. And so that's going to be the question. Who's that person going to be? And Rich Samini last night, when the story broke, gave you a couple of options. We know that Brown is one of the folks that they're looking at. He was in camp earlier. I'm sure they're reaching out to him. I'm sure his price tag has just gone up because he's already kind of familiar with what the Jets are trying to do and their different schemes and stuff like that. So the next stop, the next step right now for Joe Douglas and company is to get an offensive lineman in there who's going to be able to produce and and minimize the difference in talent from he and Becton and go in and get to work. So that's that's what has to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Jets have to do. 1-800-919-3776. Let's head back to the phones and talk to Stephen Flushing. What's up, Steve? Hey, how you doing? 
Um, I, I don't know if you mentioned maybe about a half hour or so because I just turned the radio on. Did you try to, um, or did you, and you were talking about Josh Allen referring to Josh Allen. Um, were you comparing him to Daniel Jones' situation with the Giants or was that different, um, a different situation altogether? No, I was saying that the question that you want to have as a Giant fan is since Brian Dayball is coming here and you've seen what he was able to do offensively to improve a quarterback like Josh Allen, you're hoping that he has an offensive scheme that can at least give you an idea of what Daniel Jones can do. Okay, if he can work within gotcha. the okay. if he can work within the scheme and the framework that Brian Dayball is working, then that kind of gives you an idea of what Daniel Jones can be as far as this offense is concerned because the pressure on Daniel Jones is immense. This is a new regime. They have no they have no loyalty to him. They they right, kick him right. out today, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I agree. I think I think he's a lame duck quarterback. That's the reason I called because it's nothing like Josh Allen's situation where they brought him in to be the franchise. And Josh Allen actually has you know natural talent. He's got a howlitzer serve an arm. He has mechanics were a little off his first year, but they fixed that, and that's why he's taken off. But Daniel Jones, you can fix his mechanics all day. He just you know he's just he's hit his ceiling. He is what he is. Occasionally he'll throw a deep ball. Um, accurately, which is fine, but like most quarterbacks can do that, even the busts can. But when it comes to actually reading defenses and picking them apart and throwing receivers open, he's you know he holds the ball too long. He doesn't read defenses well, and he, get, he ends up uh, you know taking turnovers, making turnovers as a result. So um, let's be honest: when Daniel Jones came out of college, no one heard of him. He was like mm-hmm. the sixth best quarterback. So it's like I honestly think a, a big reason the Giants took him was because. Eli Manning loved him, and Eli Manning had a lot of sway in, 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 in who the Giants should go with. And obviously, you know, the GM at the time didn't know what he was doing, so he's like, let me just listen to Eli. And, um, you know, obviously it hasn't worked out. Um, I'm, I'm not, you can't make excuses and say that. I'm not saying you are, but Giant fans can't make excuses and say that, oh, well, we didn't surround him with enough talent. We didn't give him enough of an O-line. It's like most good quarterbacks don't have a great O-line. They still get the job done. It's because they're naturally talented, and they can read defenses and throw receivers open. Um yeah, he's a lame duck. Um, I don't know why the Giants didn't, you know, look to trade for a Garoppolo or, you know, try to get Russell Wilson. To me, it's hard to get really talented quarterbacks. They don't just grow on trees. And, you know, maybe another two, three years before they get a chance to get that quarterback, even if they draft them next year and the year after, um, you know, it's not always like, okay, well, we need a quarterback. Here's Eli Manning, and it just happens to work out. So, um, you know, I, like like they went with the Kerry Collins route after you know mm-hmm. uh, Dave Brown was his name didn't work yeah. out and uh, yeah. you know I, they should have done that and um, to me this is the last year we're going to see um, um, Daniel Jones and well, I, just I would hope think so because he, he, as you mentioned as you mentioned from him being the lame duck and thanks for your phone call this is his year I mean he's done after this year he doesn't have a contract he's up so you're right he's a lame duck I will say this um, yeah you're right he he has some issues with holding the ball too long and trying to wait for receivers to get open. So now that's the, that's why I'm interested to see. Brian Dayball has seen the video on him. Brian Dayball knows his weaknesses. Brian Dayball knows what his, what his strengths and weaknesses are. So can he develop a scheme where Jones has quick releases and you kind of help him make his own decision, right? Okay, here's a guy open, here's a guy open. If these two guys aren't open, throw it away. That's it. I do think when you start talking about throwing the ball deep, okay, you do need your offensive line to give you time to throw the ball deep. And, you know, Kenny Galladay, which is which is one of the Gettleman's big acquisitions at receiver, 
has been, even when he was in Detroit, he was not known to give you separation. Okay. And so if you're a quarterback and you're trying to get separate for your, your receiver to get separation and they don't get it, you know, sometimes the pocket breaks down. You got to roll out, you got to move. And when he's rolled out, what's happened? He's fumbled the ball. So there's a lot of things, things that he could control. He's not done well and his availability's not been great. You know, he's had a lot of injuries. So that's also a concern for him. So it's really just been, it's been unfortunate in his defense. He's had, gosh, how many different head coaches and how many different coordinators? He's had a bunch. So there's no, there's been no continuity. So that has not helped him. Not an excuse. It's just a fact that has not helped him. And, and so that's why the Giants have to make a decision. They'll see right now if, if they ball who, you know, who's done knows offenses and has been creative. Can he do something with this young man? that they can really evaluate him and say, okay, we can do something with him or he's out. We're going to go a different route. As far as getting older quarterbacks, I mean, how are the Giants going to pay him? I mean, they're they're not in the great shakes as far as their, you know, salary cap situation is concerned. I mean, they had to let go one of their top corners because they couldn't pay him. They need to get off the money. So, you know, yeah, you would like for them to have something better. but and, and then when you think about it, I mean, Garoppolo, I mean, San Francisco, they didn't trust him to put the team on their, on his shoulders and move the ball down the field. He was a, he was a big-time manage-the-game quarterback. He's the, they just did not trust him to move the ball down the field on his own. So it might have been a lateral move. And I don't think the Giants are going to do that. They're in the situation where, okay, if we don't have him, we could keep Tyrod Taylor and go through the draft and pick up another quarterback, and that will be our franchise. So they have some decisions to make. Richardson, Manhattan. What's up, Richard? Larry, if the baseball season stopped today and we had a Final Four of Mets versus Dodgers and Yankees versus Astros, how would you think of that? I would love it. Wouldn't it be great? It would be let's fabulous. Just, let, let's just hope. Seven-game series, too, right? They'd both yeah. be seven-game series. Yeah, that would be NLC, ANL and ALCS. That's right. Wow, that's what Perfect. we got to root for. You know, Larry, before, you know, the Yankees, do you remember right before the All-Star break, they had a four-game series in Boston with yes. the uh, Red Sox. Yes. They lost the first two, and then they won the second two. They were ha- lucky to win. Anyway, mm-hmm. right before that series, the Yankees not only had the best home record in baseball, they had the best road record record in baseball. Mm-hmm. Since that time, they went from the best road record in baseball to the sixth best road record. They still have the best home record in baseball. Mm-hmm. So the Yankees' problems are all on the road. They can't win on the roads in the last three, four weeks. That's their big problem. They're winning at home. That's not a problem. So they're going to have to look to get every break they can to get the home field advantage in the playoffs. That's very important. Boom, you know, at the end of one, was it last year, I think, or the year before, he didn't care about winning the last couple of games. Mm-hmm. I think it was last year, right? And they played yeah. on the road the first yeah. series against her. Yeah, very important. They can't give that up because they are not – there's a big split. They're 10 games better on the, at home than they are on the road. Yeah, so that's, you're right, that's Richard. A big, big concern. Pleasure, Larry. Thanks. All right, thanks. Thanks for the phone call, especially against Houston. You don't want you don't want to be in Houston for games six and seven. Okay, you don't want the seventh game down there. You want to be in your building. Okay, they just don't. You go back to 
couple of years ago, they don't. Houston did not play the same way here that they played in, in Houston. They just didn't. When we return, we'll turn our attention to the NBA. We'll be joined by ESPN's NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Boy, the situation with the Brooklyn Nets has been in the news all over the place. And this gentleman, I've seen his face a lot (laughs) over the past couple of days. He is our NBA front office insider, does a great opportunity, does a great job in giving you knowledge and breaking down trades and everything. And uh, Bobby Marks, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. You've been very, very busy. Well, it seems like it never ends, right? I mean, um, we're back in the back in the. We should be talking about Jets and Giants, but we're talking about Kevin Durant here. So, but um, and I feel I have a feeling that this might linger for uh, quite a bit of time here. Yeah, I think so, Bobby. And let, let's start there because this is a unique situation that we talked about it last night. Because if you're the Nets. I mean, Bobby, you and you know, you, you've been in the front office. You're in the front office with the Nets, among other teams. As the owner, you cannot allow a player to dictate to you publicly that not only do you have to get rid of your coach, but your general manager, too, if you want me to stay. That's you talk about putting somebody on front street. That's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I've never seen the Daily Double <laughs> when it's the coach and the uh, – I mean, I've been in situations, you know, certainly being in Brooklyn – or in Brooklyn and New Jersey for a long time when it's, you know, certainly circumstances, I would say. Um, whether you're in the middle of the year and teams struggling, 500, think you're doing better and maybe the, it's just the, the – you know, I guess the um, the life of the coach is basically kind of running out and you have got to make a change and there's maybe a little bit of a mutiny. I've seen that before, but I've never, I've not seen it um, to this extent where, um, especially Larry, where, you know, Brooklyn loses to Boston in late, in late, um, late April. And, uh, and Durant came out publicly and supported Steve Nash. Um, and now we're basically, you know, three or four months later. And I think what's basically what, what's happened here is that, you know, Kevin Durant asked to be traded in late June. We we are six months, six weeks later, and Kevin Durant is still in the Nets uniform. He looks at training camp coming, and he's thinking, "Well, what's you know, what's the next option? What's DefCon Five? And I, I don't, I don't think the news that came out yesterday moves the needle at all as far as Brooklyn, you know, lessening what they're looking for in a trade. Um, you know, and I think the big thing will be as, as far as what happens when, if, when we do get to camp and, and Durant is still in a, in a Nets uniform. The most interesting thing to me about this, among other interesting things, Bobby, is he signed with this team. I mean, if you had a problem, Bobby, don't sign. You could have been a free agent, gone anywhere you want. No, you're right. I mean, he could have, you know, certainly played it out like, um, you know, Kyrie, um, you know, had a, uh, you know, he had that player option. Kevin certainly the same thing, and he, they both could have been free agents this off season. And um, but you committed, you know, four years, and there's no player option to it and this is kind of the situation um this is the situation that he's in and i think for for teams out there as you know as you've seen in the last you know four or five months you would think there would be a line of 29 teams lining up here and i think there's a there's a price point that teams look at it when it comes to when it comes to kevin durant well there's no doubt and danny ainge has kind of ruined the price point for everybody in the nba because 
with what Minnesota gave up to get Rudy Gobert. This is no disrespect to Rudy Gobert. He's not Kevin Durant. So, I mean, you saw what was given up for him. You hear what Danny Ainge was asking for the Knicks to try to get Donovan Mitchell, who's also no Kevin Durant. Bobby, what do you give up to get Kevin Durant? Yeah, and I think if you're Brooklyn, you're looking for the perfect trade because of what you've already given up to get James Harden, you know, a few years ago here, where it's not like this team can, you know, build through the draft with your own picks. You don't, you don't have that. And, and the, the, you know, certainly the perfect, the perfect trade is getting the draft picks, you know, whether it be four first round picks and then getting, you know, at least one established either a young player or a player that's been an all star here and then moving forward there. And I think you can get, I think the draft picks are there. Uh, I think you could do that. I don't think it's, it's, it's a challenge to get both. And I think that's kind of why, you know, we're, you know, five or six weeks later and there's, there's still no deal to be made. Now, Bobby, I watched you earlier today on TV and you had a couple of trades that I found interesting. Can you, uh, can you re- re- revisit those for my audience, please? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, certainly we've talked about Boston. I, I think you're the, you're the Celtics, and I, and I almost label it almost like a January trade where I think if you're Boston and maybe this team struggles a little bit out of the gate and two months into the season they're, um, you know, certainly underachieved, you know, I think certainly Jalen Brown is going to be the name that everyone is going to be focusing on. And, and people are saying, wait, why would, why would Boston move Jalen Brown? who's got two years left in his contract with Kevin Durant. And, and I think the, the, the big thing for me is that because Jalen Brown signed an, a team-friendly extension um, uh, after his rookie deal that he's basically going to play out this contract in Boston. And you might you potentially could lose him in 2024. So I think if you're if you're the Celtics' perspective, you're looking at certainly Jalen Brown. I, it's hard for me to part away with Marcus Smart. So you're looking at players like Derek White and, Grant Williams, they've got the draft picks. They can move off, uh, move up to three, three to, to you know include in a, in a deal here. So I think I think that's more of a, an in-season type move based on where the team's record is. I think you know Toronto is going to be mentioned for a long time just because they have a little bit of everything. They've got the four first-round picks to move. They've got um, you know certainly young players, you know OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, and they can put a combination Gary Trent combination that I. I still think it's going to be hard for them to move off, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes here. And I think the draft picks is, is going to be interesting for any team. There's only really nine or 10 teams out there that have control all their picks and then maybe have picks from other teams here. So you kind of run up and you run into a little bit of a wall. So I think we'll be talking about those two teams for a while. I think Miami is still a little bit of a challenge based on what they can give up. Maybe we start hearing a little more about new Orleans, but as I've said all along, I, these type of deals are hard to make when in the off season, when everyone likes their roster, right? They're a little bit easier to make when you're in November and you've lost a couple of games and you're, you know, the standings don't look too good. And maybe you're, you're willing to give up a little bit more than, um, than you are kind of in, in mid August. Yeah. It, it's, it's a tough situation. And then here's the other problem, Bobby, right now you've mentioned, most of the teams, and there's a couple you mentioned in the West, but most of them are there in, in, in the East. I mean, are the Nets in the position where they could say, listen, we only want team, we're really looking for teams in the West because we don't want to see Kevin Durant beating us on multiple occasions, multiple years? Or do they have to take well, the best deal a, available? That's a great, yeah, no, that's a great point because I think you, you basically, you know, you like, you know, we, we eliminate the Knicks in the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, New York would be a great trade partner 
they've got, you know, all their draft picks. They've got picks from Dallas and other teams, you know, they can, they, we, as you, we've talked about Donovan Mitchell, they can, you know, what, add up to eight first-round picks and young players and R.J. Barrett and guys like that. Like, they're, they're the perfect trade partner, but they're not traded. <laughs> I mean, they're not making a trade with the New York Knicks and having Kevin Durant right there. And that's the same with, you know, Boston. As far as you, if you're going to move him in conference um, – and you're going to be staring at him for four years. Like you've got to get the right package back where you've got some guys that are going to be here for not just a year. Bobby Marks is my guest. He's our NBA front office insider. It's ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Bobby, I'm just trying to get into the head of Kevin Durant here. And most people have, that I speak to about him and for my interaction, limited interaction I've had with him, he seems like a guy that really loves to play. Right, he really wants to play. He wants to be out there on the court. He loves playing basketball, but he's never been in a situation like this. Is he? Do you think he and his staff, his team, have talked about him having to sit out if they don't give a trade? Because I don't think of him as a guy that would sit out. I don't look at him the same way I, I would look. James Harden, I was not surprised <laughs> he sat out to get out of Houston. I would be surprised if if Kevin Durant sat out to get traded. I would too. Yeah, I would too, especially for a guy who's so. Um you know, image conscious as far as, you know, basically if he did, you know, whatever goodwill he did in Oklahoma City, um, you know, before he left and whatever he did in Golden State, I think the lasting legacy of Kevin Durant would be a player that held out and, and didn't report for a guy who had four years left. So I, I still have a hard time believing it. And I certainly the, there's the, the money aspect of it. And he's made a lot of money in his career. I mean, we basically leave about a half a million dollars on the table for every game he missed. And, I think the league is looking at this. You know, we've got this collective bargaining agreement that um, both either side can opt out of come December 15th. The league looked at Ben Simmons as a one-off. It wasn't a trend that we were going to continue, but I don't think they can afford to go two years in a row. And I think they, if they do, then we're going to see some drastic changes to this, and we might get a little bit of a longer process than a, what I thought would be a layup as far as getting a deal done here. So. It's hard for me to think that, but you never know what anyone what anyone is thinking, especially for a guy that you know we think loves to play basketball. And you know, for me, it's hey, you know, show up, report, let the business part of it hand, you know, let's you know figure out a trade down the road here because there's not, his value is not going to help himself, you know, by sitting out here. No, no doubt about it. Do you think the Nets will say the longer this happens, are they going to be willing to back off what they? what they want to get for him in the, in just the idea of just, we got to get him off the team. We need to just move on from this. I don't think so. I think it's a little bit different if he had a year or two left and you're just looking to salvage something. I just think, cause you've got four years and you've got a long runway with, uh, with him. Um, I don't think you're in a, in a, in a, um, in a position where basically you have to, you know, set a timeline and say, you know, we're going to take best offers come, September 25th, and by then Durant's going to be off the team. I think this, you know, I think they will hold out for the best deal possible. As I said, you you you've kind of backed yourself in a little bit of a corner because of the Harden trade from a few years ago, where you don't have your own draft picks here. And I think, as I, as we we said, like this thing could this thing could linger. I mean, you, I don't know if you'll ever get the right or the perfect package, but I think if you're Brooklyn, you're you're looking for something close to that. I tell you this, if if I'm uh, whoever he goes. If I'm that coach or general manager, I'm a little concerned. I might be looking to rent, not buy. <laughs> well, and that's you know, and it's funny because if you look, if you if we did it by the court of public opinion, the fans out there would probably be like, yeah, I want, I'd rather watch Kevin Durant than you know see you know Steve Nash and Sean Marks here and stuff like that. But I, the, the the thing for me is like, okay, 
let's say if they did that, then what's next? Is it going to be the coach a year from now? Is it going to be that general manager a year from now? Like when does it ever end? Right? Like when does it, when does it end? And I think if you're from, from an ownership standpoint, you basically have to, you know, say like, Hey, like enough's enough. We've, we've given you everything you've asked for, um, I was surprised that Kyrie wasn't one of the other, the third person here, as far as if, you know, if Kyrie wasn't traded there, because for a guy that's basically been, you know, a disruptor, there's been a Kevin Durant's loyalty to Kyrie Irving is, is amazing and God bless him here and stuff like that. And we haven't even, you know, we could probably do another segment on Kyrie here because, yeah. and that's going to be the other thing to figure out here as far yeah. as what his future will be. Yeah, especially if Durant leaves, then you really, why would you want to keep Kyrie around <laughs> if he's gone? You know, it's it's a crazy situation for the Nets. Who, Bobby, it, it was the right thing to do. Anybody who who had the opportunity to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, or with your reservations about Kyrie, but you're thinking, okay, with Durant, maybe he could help him keep him on the straight and narrow. We've got a nice little club here. We've got the you know they're saying all the right things. The culture that we built here, that's what attracted them. And who would have thought that this turned out like this three years ago? It's like it's, the, it's almost like the biggest mistake Sean Marks ever made. Well, and, and I think if you pulled off, you know, all 30 teams, if you had the ability to, to sign both players, not trade for them, sign them, and you didn't have to give up anything, Kyrie and, and James, all 30 teams would have raised their hands. I think what happened, the down, what, what turned this organization around was basically the two-week sabbatical of Irving when he didn't come to practice. He was suspended, and I guess that was in – 2020 I want to say and basically forced their hand to go out and get Harden basically as an insurance policy and that basically kind of set the wheels in in motion here as far as kind of where we are right or where we are right now two more things for you Bobby and once again we thanks for the time because I know you're a busy guy uh Nick fans a little concerned about what's going on with this Donovan Mitchell deal is is it just a scenario of it's that time of the year and as we get closer to training camp that may happen or is this something that kind of like maybe the Durant deal is something that may have to wait until maybe middle of the season like around the trading deadline I, I yeah I mean I think it's my my big thing with New York was always going to be how much restraint are they would they have here when it came to Donovan Mitchell because we know about the draft picks all the draft picks they can you know seven or eight picks they can add and the young players and the money to make it work here but what will what are you willing to kind of hold back here as far as um, is it four picks is it young Quentin Grimes is that kind of been you know the kind of a deal breaker for you here so. I think if you're, you know, certainly you're Utah, you ask for as much as you can. I think if you're, I think it's probably more of a negotiating ploy here. And I don't think there's a, there's not as much of a sense of urgency when we're in, uh, when we're in August, like we are right now, compared to when we get closer to training camp or we, as I said, when we get closer to the, you know, regular season. Is there, for front office idea, thought process, is there a relationship or, or formula as to how you look at, draft picks whom you don't know what the talent's going to be as opposed to proven talent. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think draft picks um, of your own are, are a little more expendable when you know, you're going to have a player um, on your roster for three or four years, um, either, you know, on his current contract, like Mitchell is, or you're going to trade. Hey, if you're going to trade, trade 
four first-round picks for a guy on a rookie contract, and you know he'll be here for eight or nine years, I think they're more expendable. I, I, I certainly think so. I think when they're on a year, one or two years, I think teams are a little bit more reluctant here. So I think, I think for Mitchell, it's interesting just for a guy who's from the New York area, has got you know strong ties. We've seen you know wearing that that New York Mets um, jersey because of the relationship there. That it's not a three or four year thing with Donovan. I don't believe unless things really go sour. So this could be your guy for the next eight or nine years. But at the end of the day, it's going to come at a cost, and it's going to come at a cost as far as, you know, if you think you're going to put a good team together, those picks are going to be in the 20s if they're your own. You know, that Dallas pick is not your own. Um, you've got picks from other teams here. So I think I think if, if if you think that, as I said, that player is going to be here for, you know, the eight, next eight or nine years, that those picks are a little bit more expendable. Last thing, Bobby, uh, this Durant situation, James Harden, Ben Simmons, how contentious is this next negotiation going to be between the Players Association and the league? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, the, the rules as far as from the from a cap standpoint, there's not much fixing to to, you know, to go there. I mean, I think I think how this situation evolves, um, if it if it you know if we do see a holdout, then yeah, I think there will be owners that will want to put a little more teeth into this as far as from the penalties. I think. The age limit, the tax, the luxury tax penalty. There's some things that um, you know things that teams wanna you know teams wanna address here. And I think certainly um, the the ability to, for a player to hold out when he's under contract is something that I had never seen before until Simmons did it last year. Certainly from an NBA perspective here. And now, if we see it again, that will be you know two years in a row. Changing times, my friend. Changing times. Aren't you glad you're just doing the ESPN that you don't have to have these headaches? You get to sit back and just. <laughs> yeah, I know. You sleep a little bit. You sleep a little bit better, right? <laughs> no question about it. Well, sleep as much as you can because I don't know how much you're going to be sleeping with the way things are going. Bobby, always good to talk to you. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Continued success, my friend. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk soon. Bobby Marks. Interesting comments and uh, taking us inside what the front office thinks. What are your thoughts? 1-800-919-3776. We'll hear from you next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. I'm very curious, and I was, I was glad he answered the question, because we always think uh, as broadcasters and, and, and as fans – that you want to build your team through the draft, right? You want to keep your draft choices. And homegrown draft choices are always something that's near and dear to you, okay? it's it's Yes, you'll take players who come from another team to help your team win, but it's something about your guy. It's something about a draft choice where you've, where you've nurtured that player and you've watched him grow. So while many people have had discussions and we've talked about the trading and the possible trading and how good is he going to be with R.J. Barrett, right? There's just something about R.J. because he's young, he's your guy, you drafted him, you don't really want to see him go. It's like you've nurtured him and now you're going to trade him away and he's going to, be, he's going to have the success for somebody else that he should have had here. And clearly with the New York teams, that's, that's happened on more than one occasion. Clearly with the Knicks, it's happened on more than one occasion because it's players that you never saw. Because normally what the Knicks would do, they'd think, listen, let's get draft, draft the, the player. Look, forget the draft choice. Give me a player. 
Give me a player that's near the end that we think can make us win a little bit, that makes us relevant. So we move on from those players. And I think when you look at the Knicks situation now, and they have so many draft choices, their own and other teams, how does the front office look at it? How do you? How does the front office evaluate and value their draft choice, their, their draft choices as opposed to getting an established player? And I think Bobby made a great point. If you're looking at a guy like a Donovan Mitchell, who you think you're hoping is a guy that's going to help you and could possibly get not one but maybe two contracts with him, then if that's the case and you feel he's going to be successful and add to your team or is one of the major pieces that's going to improve your team, then what you have to do is you've got to find a way to give up the draft choices because, as he mentioned, the success of your team, your personal draft choices are not going to be that good. If you're a playoff team, that means you're not going to have those draft choices are not lottery draft choices. So if that's the case, your own draft choices will not be lottery draft choices. So if that's the case, then okay, that draft choice is not going to mean as much if I traded away to get somebody else. All right. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And once again, that's the front office standpoint. That's how they look at things. That's how they view the draft choices where we might say, I want to build a team through the draft. I want to have sustainable success. I want to build my team through the draft. Well, okay. How much confidence do you have in your scouting department where you think you're going to find a gem that's going to help you? Okay. I would say the past couple of drafts have been better for the Knicks where you've gotten Emmanuel quickly out of that draft. You've gotten an OB Toppin out of that draft. I don't know how good they're going to be. You've got the Quentin Grimes out of that draft. McBride, uh, you know, you've gotten a number of players where at least they're chips and you can wait and see, okay, how are they, What? how good a talent are they going to be? And the trick is you can't, Overevaluate them, right? You can't say, well, they're, they're just tremendous players and we can, maybe they're not. Maybe they're only going to be but so good. Maybe they're, they're not, maybe they're not going to be the sixth or seventh guy off your bench. Maybe they're the 10th or 11th guy off your bench. Okay. You don't know. So you have to honestly evaluate your own talent to make sure that you don't get duped or you don't get a you don't give away a player that could help you and be the sixth or seventh or eighth guy in your rotation. All right? That that's the main thing. That's part of the process of you analyzing and evaluating your own talent. Let's go back to the phone. Subi's in Midtown. What's up, Subi? Hey, Larry, I was just thinking about the trade rumors regarding Durant. Okay. I think the Nets want, like, a budding superstar. So, you know, even – I think Charlotte would be crazy enough to pick up Durant, and, you know, Durant can't reject anything. And if they get, like, straight up for LaMelo and just one draft pick, I think they should be happy with that. No, they won't if be happy not, with that, like, my friend. <laughs> They're going to need more draft picks than I one. Think Jordan, I think Jordan is crazy enough to do a trade. I mean, even if it's not LaMelo, they have a lot of other pieces that – 
would make the Nets happy and make Brooklyn happy. I mean, or uh, Charlotte happy. I think they need to be creative in getting Durant out of town. He's going to be moping around, so we don't want that for the next season. That's all I got to say. I hear you, Subi. Thanks for the phone call, but Brooklyn doesn't care. <laughs> they don't. They've got him for four years. He's signed for four years. They are determined to get as much as they can for him. LaMelo Ball and one draft choice is not going to get it done. The baseline has been set by, was it, four or five number ones and players for Rudy Gobert? That's not going to get it done, my friend. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.